Hello, you're listening to Shallow Talk. I'm your host for today, it's Victoria Austin. And joining me to discuss the weekly cyber threat intelligence stories impacting the industry in general is Jamie Collier. Welcome, Jamie. Hi, Victoria. Good to be here. Very good to have you. It's just the two of us today, isn't it? It is. It's a bit of a lonely room, but, you know, we'll do our best. We will definitely do our best. Um, I will kind of just start off by saying that, you know, a big pat on the back for everyone who's made it through January. I think it was definitely one of the toughest years or the toughest months, but it seems like a year was all squashed into, into a month. Um, so yeah, we've made it through to the finish line. Did you uh, commit to any of your New Year's, New Year's resolutions? Well, I'm not a big resolutions guy, but yeah, you're certainly right. It's been a busy, uh, busy month. I think we we tend to expect December to be really busy because of all the tax on retail, you know, to do with the kind of Christmas and uh, the shopping period. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, we've had travel X, we've had uh, concern around Iran following the killing of Soleimani. We've had uh, the Citrix vulnerability that we've discussed previously on the podcast. And I think I uh, speak on behalf of everyone in the intelligence team here at Digital Shadows. We're just sick to death of talking about ransomware at the moment, you know, seeing so much of that. So, um, yeah, this week, Jamie published a blog on the cyber threat intelligence frameworks. Could you just tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So, as you said, I was looking at the kind of the thinking tools or the frameworks uh, we use in the industry. Uh, so obviously, MITRE ATT&CK is something we've discussed on the podcast before, but also things like the cybersecurity kill chain or the diamond model. Uh, these these are becoming you know much more prevalent in the industry, and they actually provide you know really useful, powerful tools. Um, so I think I think what I wanted to do is just kind of gravitate that discussion in you know making sure we're doing it in the right way. So the first thing I mentioned in the blog is that I think we want to be seeing these uh, these tools as a, as a toolkit, uh, and you know having that kind of cookbook of different different options. I think uh, too often we're seeing frameworks very much measured against each other. We're kind of looking for that one framework uh, to rule them all. Um, but actually what I think we want is we want them to kind of coexist. We want to be able to use different uh, frameworks depending on the context. Uh, so that was the, the first point I kind of made. Um, and then I think the second point that I think is really important is uh, avoiding that risk of integrating frameworks for the sake of integrating frameworks. Um, we want to be really clear about the purpose that they're providing. Um, they don't solve problems on their own. So you know we want to be thinking of the audience and why we're using them um the issues that they're addressing um ultimately they want to be in we want them to be an enabler not a straitjacket. uh so not everything needs a framework but it's just being really clear about how we're serving our audience with these frameworks so what would be a good example of applying a framework to something so yeah a really good example i think you know mitre attack is becoming really popular because you can you can un kind of pack a an attack campaign you know a threat actor if conducted a campaign you can kind of unpack the, the different tactics they're doing uh, and then that makes it a bit more straightforward to understand what are the different components of that campaign and crucially how we can mitigate them so there's a you know really good case to be used for MITRE um, the risk with these frameworks in general is they're just applied without us thinking about what problem they're solving but I think you know huge potential for them to really help us in the industry Digital Shadows you know a really big fan of this and we use it a lot in our own work whether that's in the intelligence work for our clients but also actually in our external content so you know we've previously done research papers and, and blogs uh, using things like MITRE ATT&CK uh, the ASD Essential 8 so anyone interested in, encourage them to kind of go check that out. Awesome so yeah you can read that by visiting resources.digitalshadows.com. Uh, next up, we have news around um, the fact that uh, security researchers had reported on a new campaign conducted um, by the Iranian state-associated threat actor APT-34. The group was seen to be targeting the Uni- United States-based research company Westat. So Westat were a or are a 
research and professional services company. So, yeah, I think we should probably begin by providing an overview of what who APT 34 are. As you mentioned, associated to the Iranian state, they've been uh, quite active and their targeting is quite broad. So they've gone after both kind of Middle Eastern countries um, and also Western states, and then also targeting quite a range of sectors in the past. So we've seen government agencies, uh, financial services, uh, and then, you know, increasingly a, a bit more on the kind of energy utilities, oil and gas sectors as well. So I think one thing I didn't actually know about Westat is that they... Uh, their services they supply to the United States government. So in this sense, I guess it's fair to say that APT34 have targeted a supplier here in this sense. Um, but more importantly, probably want to dig into a bit more like how did they target Westat um, and what tactics did they use? Yeah, so in many ways, this was quite a kind of traditional campaign, a traditional espionage campaign. Um, their malware was disguised in an employee or a fake employee satisfaction uh, survey uh, and that contained uh, malware they've previously used called tone Deaf, uh, which is a kind of backdoor does everything we'd expect from an espionage actor in terms of you know communicating with a command and control uh, server in order to kind of exfiltrate information this was an updated version of tone Deaf, so you know really highlights that the the group are kind of updating their capability they remain active uh, maybe a bit of interesting context here is that last year, uh, APT34's tools were uh, leaked. So I, I think what we see here is actually, you know, in the, in the kind of the long term, that's not going to provide too much disruption. They've been able to kind of overcome that and they remain active. Yeah. And then, well, you did touch on the fact that this was a traditional campaign. Is that right? But how does this um, campaign differ to previous ones that they've conducted? Well, not a huge amount, you know, as I said, that they are they are kind of conducting espionage. That's what looks like uh, happened from the uh, from the kind of the details. The thing to say with the updated tools is that they're more stealthy now. So, you know, more uh, focus on obfuscation remaining undetected. Okay, And then is there anything related here? So I guess, you know, we can't really ignore the fact that um, that the Iranian general was killed last month. Do you think this could be... um, related this campaign could be related to that i'm going to conduct a cardinal sin of intelligence and kind of sit on the fence here because i think it's really difficult to say and and i say that for a few reasons we would be absolutely right to think that that you know could lead to a blowback and and if there were going to be any blowback you know we would expect that to still potentially uh, occur over the kind of the midterm uh because it does take a while to kind of conduct these kind of operations so uh, you know absolutely this the, the timing kind of fits at the same time, it could be same old, same old. And mm. we've seen kind of the likes of APT34 and other Iranian actors uh, regularly target the US. So in many ways, this could just be, you know, a more traditional uh, target. I mean, the fact that they're targeting Westat connected to the government looks very much like a kind of traditional espionage uh, campaign You're going after a kind of a supplier. So next next up, we have uh, news around the, uh, the, a story that's kind of been developing for, a, for over a month now, and that's related to Wawa. So, um, yeah, December last year, Wawa, the US-based convenience and fuel store, revealed that it had been subject to a breach. And in that data breach, they had uh, had identified that a threat actor had installed malware on its point-of-sale systems that allowed the threat actor to then collect car details from its customers. So, yeah, Jamie, what has been the new development since then? Yeah, so much more recently, uh, there was a uh, card dump uh, advertised on the automated vending cart service Joker Stash, uh, with over 30 million United States customer card details uh, ad- advertised for sale. 
Um, and that data was kind of linked to Wawa. So the, the thinking is that, you know, the given this breach, breach that occurred in December, uh, it's it's pretty likely that it was then that uh, data being sold uh, in this kind of January advertisement. So I think I think what this shows is the kind of the whole life cycle of uh, these data breaches, you know, and, and I, I think the really important thing uh, for organizations is to not kind of throw in the towel when they have that first data breach. You know, you can say, oh, you know, look, we've we've had our data stolen, kind of throw in the towel, let the regulator know. And, and that's not necessarily it, because actually what's going on with that data? Is it being sold? Are threat actors commercializing it or monetizing it off it directly? You know what's going on, and and actually, if we're if we're following Joker Stash, we're following what's going on in the dark web. We can actually understand that whole life cycle, mm. uh, and really understand how we mitigate it, and or the mitigate the impact of the breach in a better way. Yeah, I think in this case, though, um, or in cases like this in the future as well, you know, as you said, the organisations need to understand where this data is being is ending up and in this case it has ended up on the dark web but there are also other other ways that it could end up it could end up on criminal um, marketplace instead of an ABC so there are other, lots of things to consider here and I guess for an organizations it's kind of like they need to uh, plan out okay what are the where where could this end up and the kind of questions you need to ask is how do we mitigate against this so I guess the first thing is kind of monitoring for that data um, but also informing customers that their data has been breached, which I'm sure they've done, and then inform them that or reissue new cards, I guess, in that sense. So, um, yeah, I think that was just um, an interesting thing because I guess it's so fresh as well in this case. So while, while we had the breach exper- was experienced in December and alm- almost immediately within a month it's it's popping up or cropping up on Joker's stash. So, um, yeah, it just goes back to that point about the life cycle there. Yeah, and I think as an industry, we're really good at that kind of pre-attack, current attack kind of talking about how an attack works. We're not so good at that kind of post-attack in terms of what happens next. And and I think actually the thing I don't want to portray is there's actually quite an optimistic kind of case to be made in the fact that organizations have a bit more agency to mitigate and to kind of reduce the impact of breaches even after they've occurred, you know, because you can manage these situations. Obviously not ideal when the information has been stolen, but, you know, what you do next is really important. Absolutely. So, yeah, that is everything to do with Wawa, but I'm sure we will will continue to see developments in the next few weeks. Moving on, we then have a story quite sadly related to um, the coronavirus. So, Jamie, I thought you could touch on this one for me. Yeah, so uh, we started to see kind of phishing campaigns uh, mention this, you know, potentially kind of using it as a kind of health warning, essentially trying to kind of solicit users into uh, opening those emails, you know, using kind of breaking stories, uh, issues that are kind of public interest uh, that are being followed. Uh, So we initially started to see phishing related to coronavirus uh, targeting users in China. Uh, But then kind of as the virus and the public concern around the virus went global, uh, so did the kind of the threat actors. So we started to see, uh, you know, phishing, talking about the coronavirus uh, kind of going around the globe. Um, it's kind of built on a kind of broader trend of of phishing kind of mirroring, you know, what's what's in the news, those public interest uh, stories. So even just this this last week, we've seen tax themed uh, phishing start to emerge in line with tax season. Uh, and then also the TrickBot Trojan uh, using text from articles related to President Trump's uh, impeachment. So, um, you know, Fred Act is never, never short or far away from the yeah, news. Exactly. They must be tracking it constantly. Um, yeah, I think in this case, particularly, 
what they were, I guess, what were they trying to get the end user to do? Well, I think I think it's just increasing the chances that those uh, phishing messages are a read and b links or uh, attachments are opened up uh, that allows them to infect the target. So, you know, if you've got something that's in the news and potentially quite urgent like this, so if it's a health warning, you know, uh, we had uh, we had ones kind of targeting specific uh, specific kind of cities, for example, um, and you might kind of have a, a bit of concern there, um, leading to kind of. Uh, targets being more likely to open up those emails mm, yeah so i'm actually looking at a um, image of one of the emails that was sent and it says it's first of all um, one of the victim organizations that they're using is the world health organization um, so trying to convince the end user again that that is the world health organization and in the email they've said um, dear sir go through the attached document on safety measures regarding the spreading of coronavirus uh, coronavirus is spelt in two two separate words, whereas I think it is one word. Click on the button below to download, and then it has an icon, safety measures. And then beneath that, again, it has symptoms, common symptoms include fever, coughs, shortness of breath, and breathing difficulties. So um, without looking, I guess you've list, you're listening to how this uh, email uh, has been written, but when you look at it, it is badly written like the actual spelling and the grammar involved in the in the emails is quite poor so yeah first you've got the urgency but also you've got some common mistakes that you could trip up and obviously naturally like I'm looking at this like quite um like vigorously and kind of picking out what is wrong but to people who may not be kind of criticizing this like I am um people could yeah be convinced that this is the world world health organization yeah and i think i think an important thing for organizations themselves to think is how would this affect them so you know their demographic their employees might not be targeted directly with this but you know maybe they're exposed in other ways so you know going back to wawa for example uh, there's probably going to be a lot of phishing talking about uh, wawa uh, effectively emails pretending to be from wawa talking about this data breach and how the because of you know because there's this news stories about the information being out there now um people that are affected are actually much more likely to click on emails uh, that are, you know, imitating Wawa. So you can kind of get a, a second wave of attacks sometimes with these big profile uh, cyber attacks as well. Yeah, and I think because of the global scale of this issue as well, it's everyone is, is very aware of what's going on. So any updates that they see, they're probably going to click on or open at, at least an email. Yeah. So yeah, I guess cyber criminals literally take no prisoners in these circumstances but if um you're looking to kind of mitigate against this in the future i guess yeah the first thing i spotted was the spelling and the grammatical errors in these emails um i guess urgency is another thing to consider when you're getting uh, sent an email and also just probably just checking on, on the email uh, domain to see if it's actually the right um the right corporate address or the right email sender to begin with and there's no typos in the, in that email so yeah just a few things to think about i guess in those cases so uh to finish off the podcast we now have uh some news around the winty group yeah so the winty group is a kind of they've been re- described as a threat umbrella you know a kind of combination of different uh threat actors uh kind of chinese associated uh typically now kind of uh representing the kind of chinese state interests but you know previously gone after a range of targets and sectors including kind of gaming organizations pharmaceutical organizations uh, in this case uh, targeting two hong kong universities uh, in December 2019, 
Um, maybe kind of a few interesting things here. The uh, Winter Group, we used updated tools. This was off the back of uh, a previous kind of round of having used updated tools in late 2019. So shows that they're really actually very active in developing those tools, kind of similar to the discussion we've just had on uh, APT34. Um, and then the other interesting thing is that these two universities targeted had also been targeted uh, before in 2019 um, by Winter Group. So I think that just shows the kind of the persistence. And when we talk about advanced persistent threat actors, we're often thinking of the kind of the A and that APT, you know, the advanced and all these new tools they're using. But actually the persistence, I think, is just as important. And if you're going to be constantly attacking the same organization, even if you're not affected the first time, the second time, if you just kind of keep going, uh, you know, you do increase the chances that at some point you'll be successful. And, it, you know, cyber attacks and those kind of campaigns against organizations, often it is that kind of matter of abrasion and just keep going. So yeah, a very short overview of the Winty group there. But if you are interested in learning a bit more, you can sign up to our Insum, which will be published this week. So next week, the team will be there to discuss uh, the, the research they, they've just published. So um, yeah, I think it'll be very exciting. And I hope you'll listen and tune in for next week. But overall, yeah, that is it. We know you've started February with a bang and hopefully it, it won't end there. So thank you, Jamie, for joining me. Thanks, Victoria.